Welcome to the Mark Explains Podcast, where we discuss anything from science and faith to politics, aliens, sex, and everything in between. My name is Mark, and I'm the host of this podcast, along with my best friend, Ashlyn. I am a chemist and geoscientist, and I studied at Michigan State University, but I am also a former evangelical worship leader, and I also did search and rescue from the back of a helicopter in the U.S. Coast Guard stationed all the way in Alaska over a decade ago. My life is replete with really unique stories and connections with the most unique people on this planet. And my goal in this podcast is to bring those conversations to as many of you as I can, and to hopefully bring laughter, peace, knowledge, and healing to all of you that listen. Welcome to the Mark Explains Podcast. So I, don't, I don't usually drink coffee, but I do after I drink a lot on holidays. Oh. <laughs> I'm a seasonal coffee drinker for medicinal purposes. So the coffee is the holiday alcohol recovery. Yes, it helps me get back to my so, normal. So this was perfect timing because this is Black Friday. Oh, yeah. This is absolutely Oh, that's amazing. Timing. So, Duke, thank you a million billion times for meeting with me, taking time out of your schedule. Because like, you are probably the busiest person. I'm pretty busy now. That yeah. I've ever encountered in America. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, my wife can run circles around me. Really? She's way more heavily scheduled than I am. My, yeah. what, what, what does she do? She owns two shops in Ypsilanti, um, Unicorn Feeding Supply and Stone and Spoon. And then there's a gallery up above Stone and Spoon. Really? Mm-hmm. And um, so she runs those three businesses and she's a master at it. She's a really great entrepreneur. Really? And so, yeah. she. Uh, and that's Ypsilanti, Michigan. Right. That's um, awesome. Right in downtown on Michigan Ave. I love Ypsi. It's, it's a pretty cool town. It's such a yeah. unique little town with the little college there and everything. It is quite the little uh, bubble, though, uh, to be in Michigan. Oh, yeah. You know, you get out to the country, and it's a completely different place. Do you guys flavor. live downtown, or do you live... We live in Ipsy, in the city. Oh, you live... Uh, but we live in a neighborhood. Oh, okay. Yeah. So not like downtown, downtown. No. How long have you lived there? Oh, 20 years now. 20 years You've this lived in December. in mm-hmm. Ypsilanti for 20... I don't think I've ever lived... I know. place for longer than like two years. Well, when you have a kid, you're stuck somewhere. Oh. I think I felt stuck. In, uh, but time flies. Like your kid grows up overnight, and suddenly you've been someplace for 20 years. Really? Yeah. And <laughs> you're just like, oh, wow. That, it, that came quick. Is, uh, is, does, your, does your kid still live at home? Yes. Really? Yeah. How old are they? She's 19. She's 19? Yeah. Are you about like get out uh, yeah, exactly we're like be much tidier or get an apartment it's the formula is that simple does she have a plan like does she want to go to college or she does yeah she's a, a cellist and um so yeah Whoa. i got her lessons since she was seven i got her first little half-size cello for christmas on her seventh uh, seventh year and that's such a unique instrument yes and it's much easier on the ears for a parent to listen to like a trumpet learn yeah no or clarinet (laughs) or the god-awful recorder those things are long and narrow so that you can throw them as far as you can it's it's a good fire poker yeah (laughs) until it melts (laughs) i was like what's that smell no it doesn't work Does she, um, is she interested in going to a college for music? music? Yeah. She has um, tendon problems in her elbows. And, um, is that from playing? Yeah, because she would practice for three hours a day. 
Holy cow. Yeah, so she's been... Um, so she's fairly off. skilled. Yes, and um, so we're trying to get her back uh, through physical therapy and maybe a surgery, and she's had cortisone shots and stuff like that. Wow. Try to get her back to playing. So. Well, that's really cool. Does she, does she want, like, want to go to like Berkeley or... Uh, I think she just wants to go to U of M. Their music keep, school keep is pretty killer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But she you, still needs to move out. <laughs> that's not hey, negotiable. Move out down the road mm-hmm. and continue to do what you love. That's really cool. Yeah. That's really neat. Well, I met you. Uh-huh. On this crazy little trip. On the wildest <laughs> adventure. That people actually pay money to do. To I kept work. reminding myself of this. The horse drive. So... I haven't done too many podcasts this year. I think I, the first half of the year, I just, I, I was rocking them out. I, it was really good. And then the second half, pretty much right after I met you, mm-hmm. um, things just, they slowed down for the podcast world because they kind of sped up for every other part of my life. Right. And um, a lot of people don't know that I kind of dove into the horse world. I met uh, in a, a girl named Lucy and she's uh, this incredible human mm-hmm. and uh, within like three days of meeting her, she was like, "Hey, do you want to go on a horse drive?" And I'm like, "I don't know what a horse drive is." Yeah, right. Like, do you put them in a car? I've heard of like, yeah, you right. Put them in a trailer, <laughs> drive them around, show them some grass. Well, yeah. I've heard of like a cattle drive, mm-hmm. but I was like, "What's a horse drive?" She's like, "Well, they have these wild horses, and you have to push them through the mountains in order to train them to get like to gain their footing and to gain trust with uh, um, the saddled horses and to gain trust with the ranchers." And I was like. That sounds pretty cool. She's like, yeah, it's like five days in the mountains of Idaho. Yeah. And I was like, what? Yeah, and they have to learn how to fall. Yeah, yeah. Properly. And, and so you ha- you basically have to push them through the mountains for five days. Mm-hmm. And it's, so the mountains in Idaho in the middle of the summer, so it's beautiful. It's hot summer nights, uh, yeah. hot, hot summer days, but the nights were fairly decent. Yeah. And so I was like, okay. And she's like, well, we have to like train you up quick. Because I really had never ridden a horse before. Yeah, I had to train James. Oh, jeez. He's never <laughs> ridden either. <laughs> He's like, I rode a couple times, you know, the neighbor's horse in high school. I'm yeah. Like, I don't think that I think I rode when I was like 11 or 12 once. Mm-hmm. And I, it just wasn't for me at the time. And so yeah. I, um, I dove in. And I think by the time I, it was maybe one month from the time I met. Uh, Lucy to the time that we went it was about a month maybe a month and a half maybe like six weeks and I maybe had cantered a horse three times and I'd never galloped a horse (laughs) Um, I maybe had 15 hours under saddle that was about it most of it was trail yeah when walking right and we get out there, and you are, it's in Dubois. Uh-huh. Dubois, Idaho. You fly in <laughs> Not the, Dubois. Not no, Dubois. Dubois. Dubois, as, as uh, Bodhi would say. <laughs> Dubois. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you fly into Idaho Falls, and it's two hours north. You are completely disconnected. No cell yeah. phone. There's no water. There's yeah. nothing. Every road's called Medicine Trail Lane. <laughs> <laughs> Do they call it Medicine Trail because that's what you need when you that's get way you out need. there? I think yeah, we need that's... a shaman and a helicopter. Oh, is that the Ayahuasca Trail? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so we get out there, and there's, I think, 15 of us, and I meet you among other people right away, but you had known Lucy before. Right. Because you're here in Michigan, and you, you've uh, yeah. ridden with her. You, wrote, you ride horses with her. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know, but I knew right away. I was like, oh... Duke's my favorite. Ah, thanks. I was like, we're going to have a 
great. And we had a time. blast. And it's yeah. so I mean, day day one is basically they introduce you to the horses and you go on like a little baby ride. Right. And then it's like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You're on a horse for until yeah, your seven ass hours, is made of stone. Eight hours yeah. a day, up through the thick forest, down steep grades, pushing. It, and there are times where you're cantering, even galloping a couple of times. It, it's trial by fire, real yeah. fast. Yeah, or if you have Stormy, you're galloping a lot because oh, Stormy had no canter. My and gosh. <laughs> Stormy had no canter. Wait, you had, well, who was the horse you had at first? Yeti. Yeti, Yeti was the draft. Yeti. I liked Yeti a lot, but Yeti's canter was so big and long, it was making me nauseous. Did you see the video Bodhi, uh, Stetson posted? Yes. About I was like, Yeti, you're being such a Yeti. bad girl. <laughs> she hadn't been ridden in like Four two months, months yeah, three it, months. And, and just turned into a, like this, just a testy little bitch. Yeah, like she had a saddle on for the first time. Yep, and then she got saddled, and she, I mean, she was, it was bucking, but not bad. She was just pissing a fit. Yeah. It was really funny. Yeah, I, that was really great. But that was, I was like, oh, look, Yeti, that was the one that uh, Duke was on. That <laughs> uh-huh. Duke didn't love so much. <laughs> no, I, I traded in Yeti after the first day, because yep. I was going to puke. Oh, yeah. But that's very... It was a rough day. Yeah. So I think we traversed, I think, like, what, 15, 16 miles on the first day. Maybe a little we, more. We did 13 on the practice day. Yep. And then we did 15 or 16 on the first day of the drive. And it was, like, it was a hard... Yeah. Because it was... I mean, it was, like, minute number one, we were going right up the side of a mountain. Exactly. Yeah, Mountain Goat yeah. 101. Yeah, and I was like, this but is wait, crazy. The horses walk up this? I, yeah. I was amazed. It was wild. Yeah. Um, but it, it was just every day for them. Yeah. And it was, and then, you, you know, you camp at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have the campsites all set up. So are you gonna are you gonna go back? Yes, I'm. I'm going back this year and probably every year for a few more years. Really? Yeah. So mostly because my wife said it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, Is she not going? Sure. No, she doesn't want to ride. No, oh, she, that's not her jam at all. Oh gosh. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, that's okay. It's not a for everybody. No, no, it's not. And, and I am, you know, obsessed. And I've ridden my whole life. I was raised around racehorses. And the racetrack, my parents both worked at the racetrack. And then my mom was even president for all of the racetrack workers and jockeys. And so, I mean, that was my upbringing. Really? And that was where I learned to have a truly calm demeanor. Uh, because when you grow around the standard bred horses, they're pretty chill. Um, the, the trotters and pacers. Yeah. But then I started going to the thoroughbred track. And I'm instantly like, I'm going to the backstretch, bye. And I would go to where the stables are, and where they're saddling everybody up. And um, that's not where the public is usually allowed. But hey, you know, I'm the union president's kid, you know. So I just get to go back into all these places. And my stepfather pulled me aside, and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. These animals are not the same. Uh, thoroughbreds. Yeah, thoroughbreds are like high-strung wasps waiting to sting really you know because so they're the, they're nervous and the, the racehorses specifically are wired to, just to you know to go, go off and i watched one kick apart a stall into toothpicks because something just set him off and wasn't done in the right order oh and i'm like gosh. oh okay and he said you can't pretend to be calm they will know you're not really that if you're afraid they can know you're faking oh yeah and that could be what sets them off. Like, if you're nervous, what what should they be afraid of? You know oh, I mean? jeez. They should be nervous, too. That's why a lot of them travel with a goat or a dog, because that's the steady. 
Interesting. Yeah, so like they always go with a goat, and the goat's in the stall with them, and the goat's just like, what are you worried about, bro? The goat's just chilling. Yeah. Well, see, because I've heard, I mean, since I've been in the, um, the equine world now for five or six months now, um, there are these uh, sayings that come up, and I'm learning a lot more about the equine world, and I've heard this a few times that people say, um, a, a horse is a mirror mm-hmm. for how you're doing, how you're feeling, how like what life is like right now. And if you and many times I'll go to a horse and I'm like, why is this horse all jittery or this and yeah. that? And it's like, oh wait, it's probably reading you, me, yeah. And I didn't even realize what was going on, and it's 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 totally changed my entire aspect on how I approach. Right. Not only horses, but people. Yeah, too. you check yourself more. Oh, you have to. Yeah, and that's why I really learned how to be in there and be in the stalls and to be around them. So you were in the, th- in the stalls with the thoroughbreds? Oh, yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. Um, that's wild. And then, uh, you know, fast forwarding to a, a, a career that I had for about a decade and then quickly hated and got out. I was a wedding photographer. You're a photographer? Yeah, and I love photography. Um, I don't do any of it anymore. Um, but you could if you want. Oh, yeah, you I can, mean, I do it with my phone. <laughs> I go on vacation with my phone now. I take pictures with my phone. That's awesome. The one thing I swore I would never do. I've got really great equipment sitting in a closet just and gathering dust. And you're with your phone. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's one hey, thing man, Lucy... they got pretty good. What can I say? But <laughs> it's, um, one, it's one thing Lucy despises about me. I'll, I'll take, like, one, one. I think I took, like... Yeah, four, you go four, on vacation and take pictures. one picture. I took four pictures for I don't the understand. entire Idaho trip. I'll take four pictures of my dinner on the <laughs> Tuesday. <laughs> I can't help it. Uh, no, but so I was this wedding photographer, and... I'm standing amongst, you know, 15 bridesmaids all looking for their shoes and their, you know, pantyhose and their this and their that and, you know, somebody needs something from the drugstore and, you know, somebody's makeup is sliding off and all of the things. And I would have somebody come up to me and say, it feels good just standing next to you. And that's how I knew that my core, being calm to your very core, is palpable. Interesting. And that you give off this energy that is anchoring and secure and makes other people calm mm. and just feel good. And when I sat um, down for dinner the first night, Mackenzie was a tall thoroughbred. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> a tall drink of water right there. Yeah. Um, sat down next to me and said, it feels good sitting next to you. Yeah. And I'm like, I still got it because I'm getting older. You, st- <laughs> you still got it. Yeah. So you, so you were a wedding photographer at first. Yeah. But what got you into that? Like, why do you want to do that? Um, well, because there was a lot of money in it. I mean, I made a lot of money. Really? Yeah, and I was good at it. And then the better you get, the more you charge. You know, just typical. And I was a wedding DJ. Yeah. A long time ago. Like that's, that's a different... 2001, 2002. It's a different kind of wedding vendor. Right oh, now. it's wildly different. I made great money doing that. Yeah, there's great uh, especially money. Especially at the time. Right. But I realized very quickly that I did not enjoy it. Yeah, neither did I. And I really didn't like selling every beautiful weekend Michigan had That's to what offer. It was. it was gone. Yeah. Every night, every weekend, yeah. gone. And I couldn't take my daughter anywhere because I was contractually obligated to go be at somebody else's party. Yeah. And that was killing me. And that's what made me hate it. And I, so, like, wedding photographers don't retire. They jump ship. They jump ship. Yeah, you know, they're like, I'm just done. Yeah. 
and I just hated it. So how, I just how didn't old book were you when you were doing that? Uh, that was for almost like all of my thirties. All of your thirties. Yeah, and then I. And then what changed? Uh, I hated it, and I oh so. I felt like a bear, a grizzly bear that needed to hibernate. Like you have to squirrel away all the berries, you know, in the fall, and hibernate all winter when you're making because no you money. Because you make zero money. You make zero, and you got to make all the little berries last till May. And that would be nerve-wracking. It was nerve-wracking, and it was uh, depressing. Because then you're like, do I have enough money? Dressful. Yeah. Because you probably have a decent little nest egg, but like. Right. And, but Zoe would say like, I want to take dance lessons. And I'm like, can we add dance lessons to this? You literally don't know. Right. So, and then I thought, well, one year, um, I'm sick and tired of being in my cold studio. I want to get rid of the studio. Mm. And it flooded, and I had insurance. So I got out of, that was my karma telling me it's safe to go find something else to do now. Really? Yeah. Um, and so I did. Uh, but I, I wanted to be warm during the wintertime. So I want to be a, a prep cook in a kitchen. In a restaurant in Ann Arbor, mm-hmm. got plenty of those. Oh yeah! Everybody needs a prep cook. I don't care what I do, as long as you know, I could chop vegetables all day long. So you just lateraled over into. I got a job working for James at Blue Tractor. Oh my gosh! At so you've known him place. for a while. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Wow. Yeah, he's my best bud. He was oh, my yeah. best man when I married Jen. Oh wow, that's awesome. Yeah, and. Um, so you were just a prep cook. Yep. Yep. And I loved it, and I was like, yeah, I don't care how much money I make, because I've made significantly less there. But it was consistent. Yeah. And, and you were happy. I was happy, and, and I was weekends. good at it. And I had weekends back. Exactly. What did I, you do with yourself? I was like, wow, there's a lot of people in this world. <laughs> did you ever, um, uh, or I, I guess I could say, do you ever uh, dabble back in if somebody's like, hey, dude? No. You don't dabble back can, into wedding photography. Can you, can you come just do a little baby shoot? Nope. Nothing? Uh, no. Nothing? No. Uh, because the skills, um, I would feel really inadequate. And that's one thing I just don't like to feel. Really? I love learning something new, but I don't like the feeling of I might let somebody down. I'm not going to have that, especially if they know me. Well, I mean, they no. are putting their day in your hands. Exactly. That's it. Was too much. I'm like, and especially when uh, like your relationship at the time isn't going very well, and you spend your whole day with people who are very excited to be together. Yeah. And like, I feel dead inside. I want to go home now. <laughs> sorry, sorry to bring you up. Everything down. Like, I, feel, I feel dead inside. I was watching a TikTok. Mm-hmm. Uh, not too long ago about a, a wedding photographer um, who does it professionally and and he uh, he was saying how when he first started shooting he would shoot everything on one SD drive um, the memory drive for the cameras and he would I, I don't know what, if it was he had one camera or what was going on but he only had one SD and like the very first big gig that he got, it was huge, and he charged like some crazy amount. Yeah. I think I, I think it, had, it was like forty five hundred dollars or something like that. It was the biggest package he offered. Blah blah blah, and um, he shot the whole wedding, the whole like the whole um, the bridesmaids and the bride getting ready, and the groomsmen, everybody getting ready, and and everything at the uh, reception, and then went and got home, and somehow the SD drive got corrupt, and he lost. Oh, every yeah, photo. Yeah, that's disaster. Every single one. And so then he sent it off to this guy that was supposed to, like, 
recover and pull them off, and the guy ended up like melting the SD card, and they were gone. Oh my god! Forever. No, see, that's just too much. Stress. And so he's like, so now I shoot with three cameras and three SD cards in case. And he's yeah. like, I will literally take one photo with one camera and set it down, and then take another photo with the other camera, just in case. Yeah. And I yeah. was like, well, that's probably smart. That's probably what normal photographers do, like a couple yeah. of cameras. Or have an assistant that have shadows an assistant you. Yeah. That's popping around. Yeah. Oh, man. I can't, like, the gut feeling you would have, the phone call that you would yep. have to make. Nope. That, yeah. never, that never happened with you? Oh, it, yes, it did happen. And, I mean, it's just too much stress. It's it's heartbreaking. It's gut-wrenching. And you're, you're just like, this isn't worth it. It's not worth it to me. You know, to, to try to carry around that risk and have to break that news. I, you know, it's like being an airline pilot. Like, it's too much. That's for other people. <laughs> that's for other people. Yeah. I'm getting my license right now. My pilot's license. Oh, yeah, I know. That's crazy. Yeah. Super fun. <laughs> we'll go, we'll, so we'll, James we'll tells me one time, James tells me he's going to go get his pilot license. And I'm like, you are not. I, no, no. That's too much risk. And he said, I put you on my life insurance policy. And I said, oh, what color is the plane going to be? <laughs> so if you want to do that, I'll feel a lot better about see, it. I'll be like, Mark left me a little gifty gift. See, piece of cake. Piece of cake. Well, see, like, I figure we could just pop up. We Like, to fly from Lansing or, like, Ypsilanti up to, like, Traverse City is, like, 35 minutes. Yeah. Just pop on up That's there. That's nice. Piece of cake. To hop land. around Michigan would be great. Yep. You can go. We got funky weather, you know. I know. We got some crosswinds and stuff. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's 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 interesting. I had a crystal calm day last week, um, and it was a, it was a little cold, so it was like 35 degrees, but it was just there was zero wind, and you get up, you it's a little it becomes hazy when there's no wind, um, but there's a lot they call it a lot of bite, mm-hmm. so the the propellers bite the air, and the plane just wants to fly. Um, and uh, we were just staying in the pattern, which means like take off, and then you do a circle and land, take off, circle and land. And uh, the first the first time I came around, I've been flying with crosswinds and gusts and thermals since I started. This is the first day it was like pristine, mm-hmm. and I came in for a landing, and just a, like it was just like a butter smooth landing. And my instructor goes, "You greased it, baby." I was like, "I've never had a still day. This is." <laughs> piece of cake yeah yeah if you learn under the worst conditions you'll be the best pilot i'm constantly crabbing in and you know you come in sideways and you have to straighten it out right before (laughs) you land and all these i was like this is i was like you should give me some crazy hard stuff to do today because we're never going to get these conditions again exactly Exactly. so you you have no desire ever to fly a plane no no no, none no that's for other people That's what I hire other people well, to do with my plane ticket. Well, see, you might ha- happen to like come for a little ride with me at some point. We'll be like, hey, let's go. And then I might accidentally like, fall asleep. Oh, no. And you'll have to take over for a little bit. Oh, man. <laughs> I had a friend that was a pilot that taught me basically how to do that, how to land a plane if the pilot next to you has a little freak show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You and she just said, down. she said, don't look at the ground. You'll fly right into it. <laughs> you look straight up ahead at the horizon. You'll be fine. I would just like turn the engine off and glide yeah, until it goes bam. Yeah, you'll be fine. And then I would be like, this yep. place better have If it starts parking. honking at you, just, just n- nose down a little bit. That's just a stall Talking morning. at you? No, there's a little, there's a little horn that goes like that. Oh, okay. That just means your plane's about to stall. So just nose down a little bit. You'll be fine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No worries. Piece of cake. Sure. Yeah. 
piece of cake, piece of cake. I, I often think to myself, like, if I'm in, a, like, an airliner and the pilots somehow, the, you know, they all pass out or something happens and somebody needs to fly a pen, I'm like, I'm probably good. But I would probably need to be on, like, the radio talking to a pilot giving me, like, different yeah. speeds. That would be helpful. What the levers do. Because all <laughs> I really need is to know where the flaps are and the brakes. That's really it. I could play on it. I could land that puppy. Just give me some. Well, good. Give me I'll some fly crosswinds. on a plane with you, <laughs> not up front. So, what got you into? Um, so, like, like you got into the whole world of cooking by yep. becoming a prep cook. Prep cook. But that's more or less set the tone for your life up till now. Yeah. So, so it was that one small decision. Yeah. It kind of led you here. So yeah, and I had done, um, I had some culinary training that I thought I would never be able to use. And so I've changed careers a few times, like four times so far um, since I Everybody was... Everybody has yeah, to. Yeah, right. Um, and my mom said it best. She said, of all my kids, you're the one that's the most fun to watch grow up. Ooh. And I was like, cool. I like that. <laughs> and she said... You pick something, climb to the top, and you look around, and then you come down and you pick something else. Yeah, and I a lot like because me. I've I've always liked the journey more than the destination. Oh, yeah. And really, what it is for me is that when the learning stops, I'm bored and I need to get out. Whew, you are speaking the truth. Yes, and that was happening in photography. That um, people wanted the work that I did for so-and-so and that I did before then for so-and-so, you know. And I didn't want to repeat myself. I wanted to keep growing. And they wanted to pay me for the work that I did, not the work I'm about to do, you know. Uh, and so that was getting very boring, and I didn't want to feel stuck, and I didn't want to feel like I was um, creating moments that looked a spontaneous but weren't. Do you think that type of lifestyle, the climbing to the top, getting bored and choosing something else. Do you think that's for everybody or do you think that's a certain type of people? Oh, I don't know if anybody has. Everybody has the kind of security and belief in yourself to be able to do that but, over and over again. But not many again. people do that, though. Right. That's what I'm saying. I think that there's a self-confidence uh, issue that prevents people from making a big change in a career because they feel secure that's in it. scary as shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's scary. Super scary. Yeah. I mean, like, I also know, like, so, like, some of my best friends have been in the same career, mm-hmm. even the same job, like the same employer, for 20 years. Yeah. And they live in the same house, and they're happy. Yeah. But, yeah, so if they're happy, super. Great. But, like, I look at that, and I'm like, that's a nightmare. Right. Like, I would, I, I, I'd jump off a bridge. Mm-hmm. I would. That sounds terrible. Right. But like I hang out with them, they're happy as can be. Exactly. They don't want the change. What what do you think's like the biggest difference between people like that and the people like me and you? Well, I I don't know because I don't spend a lot of time (laughs) together. What's the thing that drives you? um, Discovery and learning new things. That's hands down. Mm. Hands down. That's going to be what drives me. Mm. Um, And being able to circle back just briefly. Uh, and like going back to the horse drive a few times and then moving on to something else so that I can come back and be better at it and relive a happy memory and then move on a little. So I say that, and visually, I like my life to move in a spiral up, 
not a circle that goes around and around and around and around. So I like to see general repetitions, but new changes constantly along the way. So I move, and I want my art to develop in that same way. I move past a body of work, and I might go back and look at it, but I don't typically want it around my house. My artwork was to sell and get it out there. And so I could come back and learn from it and repeat it a little, but keep progressing and progressing and progressing. That's cool. So that's really what, what drives me as a lifestyle. Um, I think I've been through, uh, I don't know, major career changes, mm-hmm. maybe three. Okay. But like minor career changes, like 12. And yeah. it's crazy because um, I've always, like, I want to move about every nine months to a year. I just have this deep desire to be like, all right, I need something new. I need to go somewhere new. I need to experience something new. Um, and a part of me wondered if I ever was going to, like really young, if I ever was going to be able to maintain a consistent job or a consistent relationship. Um, or like, could I even go to like school? Because if I have this deep desire to like, this need for something new or change or something that challenges me that, that you know like just this fresh idea um, I wondered if I was ever going to be able to maintain those things right but then I went and joined the military and I did great but then I would look back and I'm like well the military I was like moving every two years and I yeah. was in Alaska then I was in Hawaii and I was in Florida and then I and then I was like, well, then I went to college. Yeah, you probably also knew that that wasn't going to and be long term. Every three to four months, I'm taking new classes, and I'm it's new mm-hmm. experiences and new people. So it's like these micro, uh, these microcosms of the bigger picture, like that satisfied that need for change. And so, but it's funny because I came out of college, came so it was like military four years, college five years. So I have nine years under my belt of like consistency. I'm like. I can go and work for the state of Michigan. And so I got, I went to work for the state of Michigan as a lab scientist and hated it. Yeah. That was the worst job I've ever had in my life. Wow. I worked for department of agriculture. I made it six months. Oh wow. And I was like, fuck this place. I yeah. am out. Everyone was mad. Everyone hated their job. Yeah. They all were just waiting for the next person to die so they could all go one rung up. One lap. rung up. I'm serious. For a new level of hate. And, and, and ev- because they hated their job, you're going to hate your job. But yeah. it was indentured servitude of, oh, no. of government bureaucracy and that they were just like, I mean, benefits were incredible. Yeah, I mean, of course. You get That's like how they keep you there. 30 days paid vacation a year. Wow. The PTO and all this stuff. But like... But with, you need it to with, survive. I, with two degrees, I, I was making like 14 bucks an hour. Oh, yeah. But like, I just, oh my gosh, I hated it. And yeah. I was like, fuck this, I'm out. Yes. And so then I realized I could just buy a car every nine months, like a diff- a new car, and it would satisfy that need. <laughs> it give me a little more consistency <laughs> in my life. So now I'm like finding these little tricks. Okay. So the car is the trick for me. Okay. To keep me consistent. It's, it's important to know what works on right. us yeah what trick we can play on ourselves to keep to, uh, our behavior do you, do you have any check. tricks any tricks that you use to satisfy that like need for- yeah so like if I feel like I want to you know go shopping and I, I don't need to do anything I'll go to like I just did this today on the way here um, in Walgreens I'll buy a new notebook oh I love notebooks I know and they're so satisfying 
So I bought a new notebook. How much of that notebook do you really use? Oh, so for chefing now, I use oh, them all use the time. Oh, you use a lot. I burn through them. Oh, see, that's great. Yeah. I buy them and don't touch them. Oh. They just sit in There's piles. some that I have. Yeah, this And then I'll go find old notebooks. I'm like, oh, this one's so great. Yeah. And then I never, I never use it. Oh, I, I've been burning through these notebooks to the point where I have a, you know, I get stickers everywhere I go. Like if this place has a sticker, I'll buy it. And I'll put it on a notebook, but I've been burning through the notebooks so fast that I'm like, I can't put a sticker, sticker, can't put good stickers on these. Because <laughs> in two months, this whole thing's going to be shredded. It's going to be and gone. And we'll be like, but there's my Petoskey sticker. Oh, and I'll be like, where? So, so you're, right now you are a chef. Yes, I'm a private chef. You're a private chef. Do you, and you own uh, your own restaurant? No, I don't have a restaurant. Um, I had a cooking show during the pandemic. Um, Tell me about that. Okay, so uh, I was working with James at uh, Black Pearl, a seafood okay. place. And um, I was like his right-hand guy, his right-hand person there. Um, we had a sous chef, but I was really his second in command during the day. Um, and then the sous chef did the nights and weekends stuff. And I was his uh, fish fishmonger, his fish butcher and um, pastry chef and just all around prep and do inventory and stuff like that for them. And um, so when that closed, when it shut down, you know, uh, for COVID, we're all sitting at home and I thought I should take this time to overcome performance anxiety. Oh, interesting. And uh, as a jujitsu competitor, Oh yeah, you do. You're the most interesting person I've ever met. <laughs> it's this is hard to tell a story because there's so many uh, side stories. Side stories. <laughs> Let's not get distracted. Okay. Back. Okay. So um, I was told that the more you compete in jujitsu, the easier it is to walk out there on the world stage and fight. Whoa, and I mean, when I walk out on the floor, I don't care if it's a little local tournament or if it's a major world tournament, because I had been in several by then, the floor still moved when I stepped on it. Like, I was nauseous, the room would spin, and as soon as we would get engaged and locked up and on the ground, then I, my head would clear and I could fight. But after those fights, when you would ask, you'd say, my coach would say, oh, that one part you did was really great, everything was black. I don't remember any of it. I'd have to see the video. I would remember how the takedown went, and how it ended, but nothing in between. Interesting. And that was anxiety um, that would just black out my brain. You know what I mean? It was so overwhelming, it would just shut off. And so I thought I could do something during this downtime when I don't have jujitsu right now because the gyms are all closed, restaurants closed, what can I do? And I thought I'm gonna do a cooking show in the kitchen um, as bad as I can, as I want. You mean like a, like a YouTube, like a stream? Yeah. Oh my gosh, and, that's amazing. Uh, I said I can't do it live because that was too much for me. Yeah. I couldn't handle that. And uh, I just want to be able to look at a camera and speak, you know, let thoughts flow and not sound awkward and not have to redo anything because I couldn't do that. <laughs> and my very first episode is embarrassing to watch because it was awkward as fuck. And then, but then by the second and third one, it was getting easier you because I allowed myself to be funny. Yeah. And if I can fall back on humor, that's my 
ghetto sled to Happy That's Town. Cool. And so I... It, like, Are you nervous right now? Uh, for no. The, for the, you're not nervous for the podcast? No. 81 episodes later, I'm not nervous anymore. Episodes, <laughs> Honestly, I'm glad it's a podcast and not a video. No, or a live stream. Yeah. yeah. I, um, it's funny you say that because I went back and listen to the very first episode that I did. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's cringe. Isn't that it's, nightmare? Oh, it's so funny because like, I don't think about it, but like back then I wanted to like produce and I had like music and I would chop it up and all of these things. Like I, I would invest hours and hours. Now I'm like record, paste, yeah. go. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it is like, exactly all the flaws what are great. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I thought, I'm going to have a cooking show teaching people how to make stuff out of their pantry because we all got stuck, like freeze frame right now. You can only eat what's in your fridge now. How long are you going to live? Like, we're thinking a day and a half. I know, right? And so I, you know, everyone's got that random can of chickpeas that that (laughs) sounded good at the time. And now you're just like, God damn it, chickpeas? What am I going to do with this? That's and the episode on chickpeas, I was going to teach them how to like toast them and spice them up and eat them as a snack. And some of them were funny colors. And it was just an episode of me chucking chickpeas into the sink one at a time from a distance. Like, wham, not you, not you. <laughs> That's funny. So, yeah, I let myself just be do whatever uh, I wanted. And every episode was sponsored by a beer. I made them sponsor me. Like, Heineken, you're sponsoring my ass today. Thank you. Thanks, Heineken. Come on, Stella. Stella Artois for tomorrow. And I would drink a beer the whole time. And and um, we have a, a friend that lives in our downstairs apartment, and she said, I'll, I'll be the, your camera person. I'm like, all right, cool. I have a crew now. And so she did it with me every day. Oh, that's so cool. And we had a nice little banter. You know, she was the hands in the episode. You don't never oh, see her cool. face kind of thing. And... Um, she would put some of the things on fast time, you know, speed oh, yeah, up. Sped up, yeah, yeah. Uh, because otherwise the episodes were really, really long, and the episodes were an average of twenty minutes each. Oh, that's not bad. No, because no, and it, it was very popular because nobody was going anywhere, and people were looking forward to watching a video that was twenty minutes long. Oh, that's interesting. Now it's hard to get people's attention back. You know, yeah. they're like, "Why don't you do the show?" And I'm like, "It's too long. I can't. I don't do TikToks that are ninety seconds." Oh, you know, and so we would put some things in fast time, and when um, we were having something in fast time, I would pick up the beer as slow as possible and drink, take a really, really long sip, and then put it down as slow as possible. So everything's going in fast time, but me drinking a beer is normal. It's normal. Speed. <laughs> <laughs> that's so. That's so stuff fun. like that was really fun. Um, but yeah, so 81 episodes later, I taught a lot of people how to cook. And uh, how to, you know, we just kind of all surf through the pandemic. And I Do you got have a over favorite episode. Uh, favorite episode. Like if somebody were listening now. Um, I did chicken wings out on the smoker. Ooh. And it was like, it was a, I want to say it was April, and it should have been a nicer day. By the end of the episode, I have three flannel shirts on, <laughs> and, and I'm trying to smoke them with with gloves and everything. Oh I'm drinking a beer out there, and it's snowing, and I'm pissed as hell. And oh then I, I bring the wings in, and I did like this pineapple habanero 
coconut milk glaze on them or something. Oh my gosh. Yeah, they're called banana wings. There was banana pureed banana in there too. And they were crazy good. They were oh. so fucking good. And I just kind of like melted into these this plate of wings. Oh my gosh. And, was, and I they've never come out that same way again. Like they were born out of hate and fury. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I was so mad out, out there in the snow uh, in April. But yeah, that was I think my most memorable one. That's dominant. I have to go watch it. I love wings. Yeah. I'm a, te- I'm a terrible cook. Terrible. And I've tried. Like, I'm really good at a lot of things. I'm like, I'm, I can jump on board and just beat average with a lot of things. I'm fairly coordinated. I can hop on a horse, you know, yeah. and do these things. Yeah. My gosh. I'm a chemist by <laughs> trade. You, you see, you do cook. Oh, my gosh. No, you put me in a kitchen and it is, it is atrocious. Like, the, the things, because my sister... Uh, Jessica, she runs a food blog, mm-hmm. um, and is like on a professional level. Uh, wow. Hers is real food with Jessica. She specializes in like paleo, whole thirty. Anyone okay. that has uh, food uh, allergies, restrictions, uh, you know, anything like that, and has been tremendously successful over the past uh, four or five years. And I wanted to try some of her recipes. And I sent her, like, it's been like four or five times I'll send her videos where, like, what? There was one time I was, what was I making? It was something um, where I had to caramelize sugar or do something with sugar on the stove. Uh-huh. And, but then you had to add, like, milk, maybe. Yeah, you make caramel. Maybe I was making caramel. But I think I added too much milk or the, it was, and then I had a wooden spoon in there. And then all of the sugar caramelized around the wooden spoon. And then I had a giant rock-hard sugar yep. wooden spoon in, in, in a puddle of brown milk. And I'm like, what am I doing wrong? I can't do this. And like I'm th- I threw added, it all away. If you added milk, you weren't making caramel. You were making a hot mess. I don't know what I But it, what you might have been doing. adding heavy cream. That's possible. And if you had the heat on the caramel too low, Probably. which bless your heart for not wanting to send your ki- set your kitchen on fire. Oh my gosh. It was Is that would have happened if you left it on high? I literally remember taking a video of pulling the spoon out of the liquid and it was just a rock hard Yeah. So sh- sugar rock. You cooled the sugar down too fast Probably. with too much cream. Probably. And it, it crystallized, you know, it yes. solidified that and it grabbed correct. that spoon for dear life. That that sounds like, Get accurate. Us out of here. Yep, and it, there was no recovering it. No. I was I like tried to away. heat it back up and it started to burn. And then I was like, this everything is gonna go into the trash now. And, and the pan yeah. was burned, everything is it was a and I I kind of retired at that point. I, I stick with like ramen now. Hard to mess up ramen. It's pretty hard to mess up. Ramen. I make I make rice. It's funny that you messed up on the one thing. As a chemist, you messed up on the one thing that we as pastry chefs need a chemist to help oh us make. Oh my gosh, it's such a nightmare. <laughs> and I'm a synthetic chemist by trade. Like, I can synthesize incredibly complex uh, compounds. But don't ask me to make caramel, because I will fuck that up so fast. Just, you know what glucose is, right? I, oh, I Isomol. do. Isomol. I, C6H12O6. Like, I know exactly <laughs> what it is. O22. But, um... <laughs> Yeah, I need to come up. You just need to. You need to teach. We should do a reunion YouTube episode. Oh hell slash yeah! Slash podcast where you can see how terrible I am in real time. Yeah, you got to come over to my house oh my so that gosh. we can do things in the smoker and on the grill oh. and in 
uh, in the kitchen. It'll be. And we'll so have a horse drive reunion dinner, <laughs> <laughs> where I'll make some of those things. And bring James over. Oh yeah. And then uh, we should have like a small panel of people that can like. Well, what if you did like one and I'll do mine and then they'll like do a taste test. Okay. <laughs> side by side. Side by side. We won't say who's is who. Atrocious. It'll be a disaster <laughs> on my end, but it'll be a lot of fun. That'll be great. Um, so you are going to the horse drive this year. Yes. Are you going in Lucy's week? Yeah. So you are? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did text you that. Yeah. And you said you should come. Yeah. And I was like the one person that could probably get me to go would be you. Yeah. So you're going, right? I don't know. Dang it. Just, I, just I, do it. I don't, I don't know. You want to do it. Because at the end of the last one, I was like, I told Lucy, I was like, I'm not going. I, told, I got off of Stormy's ass. <laughs> and I was so glad to get rid of her and give her back. She had she had no canter. She had a trot, and then oh my god, my ass is on fire. Gallop. Oh she had nothing in between, and she was tripping a lot. And like Yeti could stumble and recover, and he, Yeti was a big, sturdy, sturdy horse. Stormy was not. Stormy was falling all over the place. And really? yeah, and Stetson said if he had, if it was his decision, Stormy would have been left behind because she had hurt a, a, her leg a little bit, and she just was not happy. And so she was stumbling a lot. Anyway, uh, when I got off of her, my first thought was, yeah, I don't need to do this ever again. And it was great, but, you know, I was done. I was so glad to get back to the ranch, so glad to take a shower, you know, the whole thing. And then I get home, and I was just glowing for, like, two weeks. Really? Yeah, I was just so jazzed. Um, by the whole experience, <clears throat> and, and I sat there with my hat. Yeah, I, my hat and the horseshoes that I brought back were sitting on the counter in this pass-through in I our kitchen. Didn't get any horseshoes. I'll give you one. No, you don't have to give me one. It's okay. Yeah. I, well, I didn't like. I watched you get them. Uh huh. And and I was like, I was like, nah, I'm not really interested. But now I think back, I'm like, man. Make a little rack out of it. That's like such a cool like a physical thing you can take from that experience oh yeah and when i was out there looking at them the wear on these horseshoes i've never seen wear and tear like this and this is like these horses get new shoes like every two weeks i mean probably every month but you look at the wear and tear some of these the tips are worn paper thin just rock just grinding away on the rocks like oh you know the thing it's i'm surprised those horses had the energy to go as long as they did, yeah, and then be ready to go the next day as if nothing happened. Yeah, and you're on them, and it's in you weigh like nothing to them. Nothing. Yeah, you're it's not even ten like, percent of their body weight. Well, that last day we were cantering and galloping for like, and I'm not kidding, like oh, an hour that and a half. That last day, yeah. It was a, like literally an hour and a half, maybe hour and forty five minutes of cantering and galloping. Uh huh. Which was exhausting. Yeah. But the horses were like, yeah, we're good. Mm-hmm. How? How do they have that type of endurance? I, I think they know that eat. there's food at the end. Is that what it is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the McDonald's drive throughs coming. They know. Yeah. Go get those hats. That's really funny. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm not. It's funny because Dax texted Lucy yesterday. Okay. And. Uh, he said something like he told her how many spots were left in the week 
um, he told Lucy, he's like, on the website, the week is full. Right. But in reality, I, he said, I think that there's like five spots left. Or okay. Four spots or something like that. And then at the bottom, he's like, he's like, make sure you tell Mark he better come or something like See? that. See? And I... And I was like, I didn't think Dex liked me. <laughs> <laughs> we all like you. Oh, stop. Not every, I, I was, thank you. I was telling Lucy this yesterday. Um, I, was, I was like, I was like, I don't think you like me, which is okay. She's like, it, it blows my mind that you're just okay that people don't like you. And I was like, not everyone's going to like you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. It, like, that's the beauty of life. If I'm pissing people off, I know that I'm doing the right thing. <laughs> yeah, the, some, I heard this one sentence that was hard to get your head around at first for me to get my head around, I guess. Um, but it's absolutely true. And it's other people's opinions of me are none of my business. Yeah. Like, carry that one around for a little bit. That needs to go on my wall. I have a, mm-hmm. a wall of sayings that okay. needs to go on my wall. Yeah. Other, other people's, people's opinions. Or other people's opinions is none of my business. Of me. Of me. That's key. Other people's opinions of me are none of my business. It's like, you hear that, Luce? She's not listening. <laughs> she she won't listen. But that's a that's a great saying. Yeah. What was the age? If you were so, if you're looking back at your entire life right now, is there a distinct age where you feel like things changed for you? Like like there was a, a yes. big turning. Yes, the, my, the biggest fork in the road between me and my peers happened with my first job out of high school. Really? Because this is the, we're going through my whole career track backwards. I like so this. So we might as well end it's here. the Benjamin Button episode. Exactly. <laughs> right out of high school, I got accepted to a lot of art schools all around the country. What type of art do you do? Um, drawing and painting. What yeah. do you do? Yeah. What um, type of uh, Well, I, I really... Drawing? Drawing is really where I, I made a lot of money. I did these large-scale charcoal drawings. Um, I got a BFA and an MFA from Wayne State. Really? Yeah. And um, I have, uh, I've shown in my wife's gallery a few times now. Oh, my Three gosh. little pieces in her Chef's Kiss show. That's up through the month. And, um, but I did these photorealist single-line drawings in ink in oh. an undergrad. Uh, and they're very intense. Those two, uh, I have, one of those is now allowed to be hung up in the house because it's been 35 years or 30 years since I've done it. So it could stay up in the house now. Um, and it's something I actually want to return to just for fun. Really? Yeah. But to are you support, are you into like photorealism, like hyperrealism? I I am. Yeah, I love painters that you know do that almost 100. percent I don't want it to look totally like a photograph. But I like to be able to get in close and see the details. Um, I have an so eye for detail cool. that's pretty maniacal. Um, yeah, pretty intense. But they, it's, it's weird. Uh, so when I was applying to all these art schools and getting into all these art schools, they were super expensive. And I did start at CCS in Detroit. And I was going to need a job that made more than $8 an hour at the time. You know, this is 400 years ago. <laughs> And so I did what every logical, you know, 18-year-old would do when going to an expensive school. Um, I became a firefighter in my really? hometown. Yeah. And this and, that's career one. Yeah, this is career one. Career this is straight is out of the box of high school. Wow. Yeah. Um, my I lived in a paid volunteer city, so you are you're at home with your pagers and everything, and oh, you yeah. get the call. 
um, and you go to the fire station, you're paid by the hour, and it was $18 an hour. And I was, oh, like, and I was also a gymnast in high school, and I didn't have any kind of sports to look forward to in college because they were all art schools, and I was afraid of getting fat. <laughs> really, yeah. I was afraid of getting out of shape. Yeah. Um, it, that was something I didn't want to happen, and so I'm like, well, if I become a firefighter, I have to stay in shape, I'll be super fit, and I will be in art school, and this will all work out great, and it's going to be amazing. And the training was great. I passed the uh, physical agility to get in the fire department. I know those are pretty rigorous. Yeah, yeah, they are. And I, I did this for another full-time department a few, a couple years later. And did I just, you have to like carry like full-size dummies, like yeah, drag them across the floor, go up ladders. You got to do a bunch of stuff. Yep. And those dummies, that dead weight is something else. It really is. Yeah, it's like wet bags of flour. Yeah. And <laughs> it just. That was kind of miserable, but you, you get through it. You, know, you just do it. And, um, yeah, so that was really difficult because when I became, when I, the job started, you start going to accidents and things like that. Um, by that first summer, I had run on two kids that I went to high school with that were dead, thrown from a car. Really? Yeah. I washed someone's, uh, a woman's brain matter off of a telephone pole that summer. Really? Yeah. I had to go down into a, um, a ditch, like down uh, under an overpass, to look for a part of someone's leg. These are all different accidents. These are not all the same thing. Jeez, a piece. And it was the two kids that I went to high school with where I realized my peers are having one summer while I'm having a different summer. And I don't regret my choices at all. It just, that was the division in the road where... I was doing something, A, way more mature, but still with a very immature, developed brain and body. And there was a disc that created a disconnect with myself, too. So you pick up all these little pearls of wisdom, but I sit here at the age of 105 feeling simultaneously really immature. And, and you know, like I know a couple of things. You know. So I did uh, search and rescue in the Coast Guard. Oh, yeah. Uh, this was career number two, maybe, uh-huh. that I had. Um, and I was in the back of a helicopter. I was the hoist operator. Okay. And so the swimmers would jump in, and they'd grab the people, and then we'd hoist them back into the helicopter. Um, very, 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 very few people that we ever pulled up into the helicopter lived. Yeah. If you go overboard in the ocean, which, you know, I was in Alaska, and I was in Hawaii, and I was in Florida, and people think, like, if you go overboard in Alaska, yeah, we understand, but you probably live in, if you're in Hawaii or Florida, because the water's warm. No, you don't. Wow. You, I mean, the water, even at 82, 83 degrees, over a given amount of time, your body will still go hypothermic. Wow. Because you, you can't live with an 82 degree temperature body. Yeah. And, um... More importantly, there's a lot of wildlife in warm waters that yeah, is, is attracted to them. Um, so very, very seldom do we ever pull a live person out of the water. Oh. And um, I'm realizing now, like a decade later, the probably the trauma that I experienced from that, because you yeah. have to have a, a level of dissociation. Yep. Uh, with reality in those moments. I mean, in those moments, that's my job. Like, I'm looking out 
out the door down at the swimmer and giving him signals. And he's giving me hand signals. And I'm talking to the pilot over the radio and telling him where to go. You know, easy right, easy back, stuff like that. Yeah. And, and then we pull these people. Every now, I mean, from, the, from a boat, they would be alive if they you know, had an accident on a boat. But if they're in the water, more or less, we're pulling out bodies. Oof. And I'm realizing now, I mean, it was probably over the scope of my career, probably hundreds, probably like over 100, 150. And I'm realizing that probably had more of an effect on me than I think it did. Yeah. Um, because I also know, like, I can't go to a, like a big concert like a really large venue with lots of people and loud noises and there's stuff going on, I get really bad anxiety. Mm -hmm. Really, really bad. And I think probably that's all probably connected. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it just might be a little bit connected. And so in in the same sense, you probably experienced the same concepts of like watching humans go through terrible things or dying. I got two stories for you. It messes you up. I could, I could, I could say three, but I'll start with these two. Um, part of you know watching people go through terrible things. You know when you are a firefighter in a city, <clears throat> and this time, <clears throat> pardon me, I was a, a full-time firefighter. A couple years later, I loved the work so much. A city was hiring. You know, full benefits and salary and everything. Um, I tested for them got the job, I was one of the first women they ever hired, which was hell on wheels. That's cool, though. Uh, When you are running uh, in a neighborhood, you get assigned a station, you start to, you have some regulars that you run on, you know, as as a paramedic or a medic, and, you know, we had a woman that was um, a uh, terrible alcoholic, uh, really far gone, lived in this little apartment, um, and her daughter would come check on her. And we had run on her a few times, um, you know, over the first year. And then we get a call for her place again. And her daughter's there, and she uh, died by the toilet the day before. Like, there's nothing that can be done. And her daughter is about 19, maybe 20, is about my age. And she is super distraught, crying her eyes out. And she grabs me by the shoulders and shakes me. Says, "You've got to do something. You've got to do something. You've got." To. And when she's shaking me, I'm looking at her like, "We are the same age. Like you're shaking another kid. I, like I feel for you because I am you. You know, I." I and you're thinking this like in real time. Yeah, almost. in real time as she's shaking That's my shoulders. Some pretty incredible self-awareness. I can't help you. You know, um, and I, I did not feel older than her or, you know, more uh, able to control this situation at all. And then there was another um, situation in the same city um, where we are called to um, a hysterical woman on the ground in a building. We get there and she is flailing about. I think she was unconscious and then became conscious and she is just flailing about and uh, the two other firefighters with me are trying to hold her down so that I can try to get a heart rate um, and a blood pressure and I put the stethoscope in my ears and she keeps ripping out the stethoscope and if you've ever had a stethoscope ripped out of your ears, it hurts hurts like crazy and I just kept putting them back and she kept ripping them out and you know they're trying to hold her feet down and hold her shoulders and 
all of this. And third time, I grabbed her by the shoulders and I said, look at me, I need to help you. And she looked at me and what happened was she realized I was a woman. And she stopped and just gave me the biggest, I, I would say a hug, but she held on to me for dear life. We found out that she had been raped and brutally beaten. And the reason why she was flailing about is because two men were trying to pin her down. So we had to go back and be like, this is the wrong approach. As soon as she spotted me, she hung on to me. Everything changed. Right. Wow. That's wild. And that was one where all of a sudden I did feel like I had control of the situation, that I did have what she needed. You know, and those two events could have happened in the same month. You know, that's what that job was. It was such a roller coaster of, I have nothing for you, and I have the one thing that I didn't realize you needed. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. That's cool. I, it's funny enough, like, I pulled a lot of people out of the water. I don't remember hardly any of them. Yeah. But I remember one. Uh-huh. And it was really the only guy that I think I ever contributed to help save. Wow. I mean, pretty much if you're in the water, it's not much of a chance for you. Um, but I was in Alaska, and I don't think I've ever told this story on the podcast, strangely. Huh. Um, but I was in uh, Sitka at the time, and uh, I was on duty, and at search and rescue, the SAR alarm went off, and it was late. It was probably like 1 in the morning. And by the time we get dressed, suited up, and the, the helicopter spools up and we get, by the time we take off and get out onto scene, it had been about 40 minutes since the initial call had been made. And um, you go to the site where the call was made because there's coordinates and you drop a buoy and then you time the buoy over like five or 10 minutes and see the drift and where it's going. And then you multiply that direction and distance by the time that's passed and you can kind of get a grid for where where the person might be the person in the boat and everything might be wow um, and that's kind of how you figure that's how you, you dictate where to go and then you get like this grid and then you just do a left right left right back forth until you find and I was on the the FLIR F-L-I-R it's forward looking infrared uh, which uh, finds um, anything with a uh, thermogenic uh, image basically if you're giving off heat it'll see it and so I was on the I was on that camera looking and uh, we saw we saw the wreckage in the water mm -hmm. and so uh, we go and we, we find him we find the guy he's face down he's in his what they call a gumby suit which is like this full suit top to bottom oh yeah it's supposed to keep you warm but it only keeps you warm in the Arctic for about 15 20 minutes it doesn't okay. really keep you warm it fills with water and then your body heat insulates and, and like uh, basically warms the water layer between okay. you. It's, it's, it's kind of like a hybrid neoprene. Yeah. It keeps you warm for a bit. Um, but he was face down in the water. And uh, his strobe was there. The swimmer jumps in. And uh, we grab him, pull him back up. Um, he had probably been dead for probably 30, 30 40 minutes. And uh, we cut him out of the suit. And but we, we have these bags. You put them in and the bags heat you up really fast. Oh, um, yeah. And then there's this machine that does uh, CPR and it, a rebreather. It sucks the water out of your chest and everything. Wow. Out of your lungs. Pretty cool. Um, because, like, 
we're assessing other injuries. We, we can't just, you know, like give them CPR. We got to do other things. And so uh, these machines are going and like I'm, we're doing a secondary to see if he has any broken bones or anything like that. And uh, three minutes on our way back to the tarmac, he sits up, rips the mask off and goes, Oh, and, no. and me and the swimmer like, <laughs> like scared the shit out of uh, us. Yeah, because it's pitch black in there. I mean, there's just you know like red lights, and um, and he's like, oh man, and I'm staring at him, and he's staring at me, and I was like, uh, are you all right? He's like, where am I? I was like, bro, <laughs> you've been dead. Yes, for like oh. 40 minutes. Oh my god. And he goes, my wife's gonna kill me. <laughs> And, and there like, he goes. And I was like, what's your name? He's like, my name's Dave. And, well, Dave. And, and Welcome back. We got on the horn and called his wife, and his wife met us on the tarmac at the air station and didn't even go to the hospital. He was fine. Wow. He is, he was dead, dead. Oh, my God. But I will forever remember Dave. Yeah. yeah. I don't Dave's remember many else, but I'll remember Dave. Damn. And the time that he scared the shit out of me coming back to life. Yes. But I think what it was was wow. he had probably died from hypothermia and then went face down versus uh, dying from uh, uh, water inhalation. Yeah. From, you know, yeah. It's probably... And that Kept him probably, from taking out a lot of water. And that's lives. probably what saved his life. Exactly. Um, but yeah, he was just fishermen hit some rocks. That was it. And that was crazy. All right, so I got a couple questions for you and then we'll wrap this up. Okay. Because it's been over an hour. Oh, wow. I know. It, they always go so fast. Yeah. Um, so we're going to pull from this deck. This is a deck of cards. And I love this game. Have you ever played this game? No. So it's, uh, it's just cards that have questions. And um, we're going to pull two cards from each category. And okay. it's just like level one, level two, level three. And uh, I'm just going to get to know you a little bit more. Okay. You good with that? Yeah. All right. First question. You ready? Yeah. Um, what fast food restaurant are you most likely to drive through? Oh, um, it's a tie between McDonald's and Taco Bell. Really? Yeah. Um, McDonald's for breakfast, for sure. That's the only one I'll go to for breakfast. What, what do you order for breakfast? Uh, I will get an egg McMuffin with an extra piece of cheese. Or a McGriddle with an ex- a sausage, egg, and cheese with an extra piece of cheese. There's a reason why you get an extra piece of cheese. Especially with the Egg McMuffin, since they did the all-day menu. And you want... Because that's the only thing I'll eat from McDonald's. I really don't like do their cheeseburgers um, very often. It's once every few years. I think I've done their new spicy chicken. My daughter was obsessed with that for that a long time. It's pretty good. It's yeah. pretty good. I don't do that, though. But you get the extra piece of cheese because they have to make one fresh for you. So all the rest of the regular straight-off-the-menu things, if you think it's been laying around a while, get an extra piece of cheese. It's, Ooh, it's better that way because, because they have then, to make it fresh. they have to make it yeah, You're that, welcome. That's a pro tip. Because uh-huh. I usually get, like, if it's breakfast, I'll do, like, the sausage burrito. It's pretty good. Yeah. But it's been a minute since I've had one. A lot of McDonald's didn't bring those back. Extra after. piece of cheese yeah. for you listeners. That's the pro tip. Mm-hmm. All right, you ready for the next one? Yeah. Do you fall in love easy or not? No. No. Mm-hmm. No. Why or why not? Um, I don't know. I think because 
I know. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm thinking like with my wife, I fell in love instantly. Did you? Yeah, when I met her. When I so met her knew. seven years before we were together. Oh, goodness. Yeah, you're both married to other people. <laughs> <laughs> and the plot thickens. Yeah, sticky point right there. Uh, no, she was a very good friend. Um, and, uh, yeah, so things happened the way they were, they were supposed to happen when we got together six years ago. So um, I think because I'm deeply loyal... Uh, that's the one thing that I don't want a whole lot of change in is my relationship. Like, this is forever. And that's the way I set out to be. And that's what I aim for. And that's what I work for. And do, do you know the Enneagram at all? The what? The Enneagram. That's okay. No. I was wondering if you knew what your number was, but that's okay. No. I've never heard of it, but it'd be interesting to find out. We should do a whole, whole podcast on that. Okay. You ready for the next? We're going deeper now. You ready? Okay. Uh, what's your father's name? And tell me one thing about him. My father's name is Alan, and he's a retired pharmacist. And he and I have great conversations. Really? Um, he was my uh, my phone call dad because my parents divorced when I was nine. Um, so I would call him every night. Every night. Yeah, because my parents worked at the, my my I say parents, I mean my mom and my stepfather worked at the racetrack. So nine months of the year, they were gone from five thirty in the evening until one in the morning, year-round, school nights and everything. Um, and just, no, so then January, February, and March, they were home because the tracks were closed, um, which, was the, which is why I did a lot of sports and after-school activities, because we just weren't used to everybody being around. I was yeah. raised by two boys, and we had a much younger sister, 12 years younger than me. She was raised by bears. You know, we were all just a bunch of animals. And when the parents were home for those three months, we were like, uh, we're all going to kill each other. I think we need to go get jobs. <laughs> were you raised here in Michigan? Yeah. Oh. And, um, so, but anyway, when they were gone, you know, right around uh, the 10 o'clock mark, I would call my dad. He lived in Cincinnati. And we'd talk till um, the opening monologue of Johnny Carson was over. So we'd sit there and wait for the monologue to come on. We'd listen to it together. And then I'd say goodnight and talk to him the next day. And so he, he was not there in person, but I had a, a very good relationship with him. He's still alive, too. That's cool. So if you have, when was the moment you realized that you were not invincible? Oh. <laughs> Firefighting 101. Right. Um, yeah, no. Uh, Having a lot of, but having a lot of near-death experience can only reinforce that you are invincible too. I, I did think that for a while I was pretty tough to kill. I, I know for sure that I'm pretty tough to kill. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I'm not invincible. Um, parenting has been really hard. Parenting pulls out all my flaws, all of them. Sometimes several at once. Yeah, that's that's the one thing where I'm like, I wish I was better at this. I think everybody probably feels that way. Right. It's I have no kids. Kids are dicks. <laughs> I have no kids, so I have They will ruin your life. Don't no have any. No input on this. No. At all. Um, I feel like I would be a ridiculous parent, but a lot of fun nonetheless. So, ridiculous parents can be great, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I learned, Zoe went to a, a daycare, kinder care, like, you know, a major chain 
in daycare because that's what all I could afford in Ann Arbor. And um, I learned about a year into this that there is a sign-in and sign-out book. Now, you can't see me on the podcast, but I've had like a shock of white hair, super short, that I just kind of spike it like a 10-year-old just fell out of bed. That's my style, okay? And I dress accordingly. And so, and this is me as a mom, too. Like, I roll in like Guy Fieri with boobs. And (laughs) people... Um, I never knew that there was a sign-in and sign-out book. I just had their little door code go in, get my kid, and I leave. And um, so a year goes by, and I'm like, wait, there's a sign-in book? I, I didn't sign her in or out, not once. And they said, oh, yeah, we know who you are. <laughs> I was like, what does that mean? What does that mean? And, and, and Zoe said, it means you're not a regular mom. Those are the regular moms. Like, they all look alike. Oh, that's said, You're so not a regular funny. mom. And I'm like... Okay, cool. I'll take that. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> that's cool. Okay, I have one more question for you. Okay. And then that'll be it. Um, if that microphone in front of you was a magic microphone and the entire planet could hear you for 30 seconds, what would you say? Other people's opinions of you are none of your business. Live happy. That's it. Piece of cake. Yeah. Didn't even take 30 seconds. Feel that weight lift off your shoulders. Mm. You don't have that much work to do. It's mm. good. You're a good human. Dude. You're a good human. I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks. Uh, Let's go get a beer. Let's go get a beer. We I'm can, taking Mark out for a beer. You guys do, can't come. Can we do a beer cast? Yeah. Part we, two. We get kind of drunk. I'm going to get Mark, Mark, Mike, Mark. I'm getting him to go on the horse drive. Oh, gosh. How many beers will it take? Can we do Everybody a, bet. Can we literally do a podcast every day of the horse drive? Yes, we have to. The first day I will be sitting on cans of Diet Coke. <laughs> Frozen Diet Coke. And I will be going, uh, I, I uh. would consider it for that. <laughs> okay. I would consider it. Take your, yeah. And then me because and you it's can so interview other people it would be so fun to interview stetson oh can, yeah can we please oh i remember let's go to the let's go to the brewery and um uh, i'll tell you some of the things he told me oh my god yeah it's hard to believe that that guy's only 24 he looks like 124 he he is a seasoned <laughs> weathered cowboy also tip uh last this summer on the horse drive the first day one horse died the second yeah, day the uh heck? stetson nearly broke his leg he almost died uh-huh the third day we almost killed sage my the fourth day we gosh. had steak yeah. My, it, I mean, like, it was the most eventful week we, of the drive. We wrote a song about it. For sure. Yeah. We did. Yeah. That was really fun, by the way. It was great. That was a lot of fun. We got to do that again this year, too, because we are the group that sings a song back to them. We do. They yeah. sing us a song. We sing one back. I'll bring my little ukulele this time, and we'll, we'll play and sing. We'll have a, a little hula. Yeah. That'd be perfect. A little aloha thing. All right. Beer time. Beer Dude, clock. Let's go. Thank you so much. Thank you. Beer this man. was a blast. Bye, See everybody. You.